All right, Matthew chapter 5. For those of you who don't know, uh, we're making our way, our, a study through the, the Gospel of St. Matthew, this book. It's on page 810 in the Pew Bible. I encourage you to have it open because you'll definitely need it. Uh, we are working through what uh, many refer to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's chapters 5 through 7. Uh, basically, Jesus is, uh, is commending to us uh, the way that we would live as salt and life. His, his target, his audience is primarily the disciples, his followers, but obviously there's other people who are listening in the, that day. Uh, there are times that what he says in this sermon, uh, and we're just breaking it apart and going through, uh, you know, sequentially, but there's times that he has already said and he will say things that are hard to digest. Uh, in fact, it's, but some of them are altogether, if understood in the light of who he is, are liberating and freeing uh, as well. One thing is for sure, uh, while we may want to uh, reduce uh, God's commands and laws to a simple checklist, or some uh, over time have uh, sought to actually expand those to a greater uh, detailed list of external compliance and a, a longer checklist, uh, Jesus has a way of handling God's law that takes it in the right direction, and it is actually deeper. Uh, it takes it deeper down to the heart. But at the same time, uh, we understand that Jesus also, when he commends these things to us, is lifting our head. Because he told us right before the, the passage we're about to read that he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all of the law. He's perfectly obeyed it all. Not only that, but Jesus is the fulfillment, the completion, uh, the culmination, even better yet, of the, entire, uh, the entirety of the Law and Prophets, which is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So it's all coming into focus more and more, he's saying. And that would be absurd and, and arrogant and egotistical if it wasn't, wasn't what? True. And that's where we're focused on what is, what is true. And Jesus proves this to be true time. And again, last week we said, uh, you know, Jesus had reminded us that unless your righteousness... Uh, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He said that in verse 20, you don't get into the kingdom. So how do we do this? Uh, how could it possibly exceed, uh, except that uh, we wouldn't just be focused on the external, we actually would be understanding not just the, the letter of the law externally, but actually understand the spirit of God's law and take it to our heart, to obey God from the heart. What was the illustration of that last week, right? Jesus said, Jesus picked one of them and Jesus said, what about the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. Okay, that's an easy one. Never done that. Check. I'm fine. Uh, you know, I've come close to strangling a few people, but I haven't actually killed anybody. I did get in, I did get in a fight, you know, third grade dodgeball. You know, Billy was a, he was a bully and I, I, we had to do what we had to do. But I have not broken that commandment. And Jesus says, well, hold on a second. If you have hatred if you have anger in your heart towards your brother and you insult him, then you are committing murder. Those murderous thoughts in their embryonic form are already there because of anger at times. So we talked about anger last week. I don't, I'm sure none of you have struggled with that this week. Uh, so we're, we're good. Here's another thing that we, I'm sure none of us uh, have struggled with. It's not at all relevant. Sex, lust, adultery, and divorce. How comfortable are you all with that subject? <laughs> hey, young people, students out there today, okay? 
thank you. I know it's the last day of your uh, winter break, and uh, you've probably had a couple of reminders in the last couple of days. Hey, do you have any homework to do? All right. Well, wouldn't it be great if I were to sign your parents' homework right now? And that homework for you parents of young students is to bring up this subject. You can bring it up too. You probably don't want them to fulfill this homework assignment, but they are given the charge that when questions and topics and other things that we cover and Jesus speaks of in this sermon today, your job is to bring it up and to talk through this in an open way to try to answer some questions because it will raise some questions. Sex, marriage. I know I'm speaking though uh, to a group of people who are young and old. You're married Some of you are unmarried. I know I'm speaking to people who've got feelings and experiences and stories and struggles and hurts and guilt and shame and a whole variety of emotions that surround what we're going to talk about today. One of God's good gifts is sex and marriage. Perhaps you're here today and you you doubt all of this. You doubt you doubt that there is an ethic that God would prescribe and commend to us that's not in accord with your own desires, perhaps at times. It doesn't always align with your instincts and emotions, and you wonder, can it really work? To do it, quote, God's way. Does that even work? Well, I'm not here to appeal to your emotions. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to appeal to your conscience this morning. And then that's true regardless. And that's, and that's regardless of how you relate to this subject in large. It, it may even be contrary to what and how you relate to the Bible. Some of you are here and you're not yet followers of Christ. I'm glad you're here. But regardless of your relationship with Scripture or not, up until now in the person and work of Jesus, I want to commend to you and challenge you and appeal to your conscience that maybe, perhaps, the wisdom of God on this matter actually proves to be true and beautiful and right. And I'm speaking this morning as someone who doesn't have it all right. I don't have it all together. I speak as someone who has experienced many of the joys and sorrows and the gifts and the guilt uh, surrounding these topics and these sins. So I'm going to boldly ask you to consider our creator. Uh, We're going to open Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. And I want to appeal to you that there is wisdom in the law of God and also the love of God and the logic of God here. So please stand, if you would. Let's look together. Matthew 5, beginning verse 27. Now he's moving on to the seventh commandment. In verse 21, it was the sixth commandment. Now it's the seventh. You have heard it said, it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, well then tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, well, then cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, 
makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is God's word. You may be seated. Why don't we ask for God's help? Father, you're clearly the giver of life and all good gifts. And so I ask that right now, and I do thank you for your word and for your wisdom, and I ask that you would grant to us your counsel and your comfort. Uh, We need a great measure of both those. Be in my speaking, Lord, and be in our hearing and our responding and our hearts. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. It was uh, spring this time, almost this time, last year. And uh, it was a Sunday morning, and I, I, I got up early as I typically do, and I realized I needed a book at the, the, my office, my study, the church office. And so I went outside, and it's like 5.30 in the morning probably, and I'm going to get in my car. I'm only about half awake at this point, and I smell smoke. And, and uh, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit hazy outside, and I'm... I'm I, you know, I'm a little bit like, what, what's going on? I could smell smoke. And I, I was like, I didn't start a fire in, the, fire in the, uh, the, the wood stove, so I don't really know what that's coming from. But all of a sudden, around the, to- the turn, down our long driveway, comes not one, but two firefighters. I finally wave one of them down. What is going on? Well, we've got a report of a small brush fire out back here. Here, this is my, this is my property. This is my house. And all of a sudden, I just, whatever was half awake in me was fully awake at this point. I run in the house. I run downstairs to get my work boots on. I wake up Krista and I said, Krista, I don't know how bad it is, but uh, I have created a cosmic mess. And, uh, and she jumps up. I run down towards the workshop thinking I may have lost my, my, my precious Kubota tractor, the entire workshop, all the wood. I may have burned down all of Tubbs Meadow, 125 acres of town conservation land. Because you see, the day before, our family had been working outside all day, gathering sticks and broken branches and cleaning up all this debris from our yard and spring cleaning. And we had a big, nice legal bonfire. I did call in a, a permit. I know I've got two firefighters in the, in the house here. And, uh, and lo and behold, I'd even gotten it contained by the end of the day. I think I even, I even sprayed around it. My wife's shaking her head. You see this, right? And, uh, and I'd even created, and, and, and it was supposed to rain that night. And, and I put water around it with a hose and, and let it burn down. There were just those coals and embers there. But the heat of that started to dry out the mulch pile next to it. And that mulch pile caught slowly and gradually on fire. And over the course of the evening, it had made its way over that mulch pile into the woods and destroyed like an entire acre of underbrush. Didn't get into Tubbs Meadow, didn't destroy anything else. God was tremendously merciful to me. But as you can can imagine, I was pretty humiliated as I walked around with a rake and these firefighters trying to explain how this happened. They were actually very, very uh, understanding and kind. But I was humiliated. Why do I bring that up? I think we all have a sense of how fire works. Uh, We understand that fire is uh, to handle it. You you know, you got to have great care. Uh, You need to have respect. You need to abide by, uh, you know, safety and, and other things. You need to have fire in the right place and you need to use the right fuel. You don't use unleaded gas. And, 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 and I haven't done that for a really long time. Um, (laughs) 
yeah, like more than a year, okay? A really long time. Yeah, Ben, ben, ben Johnson told me like 10 years ago, you ought to use diesel. So, uh, you know, I, 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 was not burning with, I was not burning with gas that day. We understand fire can save a person's life. It can warm a home. I've got two wood stoves in my home. Fire can cook food. It can purify things. But it can burn you. And it can scar. And it can create an environment for infection. And it can burn down your house and destroy lives. And sex is just like that. There's goodness, there's warmth. It can do wonderful things. It can also destroy. This is obviously a provocative, powerful, relevant subject, and yet I know every person in this room has been impacted by the temptations and or the ramifications of sexual immorality in families, in communities, in marriages, in our culture, and some of those stories that you would share and have shared with me are marked with trials and deceit and abuse and brokenness. But I'm glad that our Savior Jesus comes to address these things with both truth and with grace. There's really not a, a perfect way to uh, unpack or to exhaustively teach or apply this text, but here's three questions, and I have them listed in the order of service. What are they missing? Where is this going? And how are we responding? What are they missing? Where is this going? And how are we responding? First of all, uh, what are they missing? Uh, they, they are missing how and why it is that we relate to God's law. We know that we are not under God's law. Yes, we mentioned last week that the law of God is a light and a lamp to our path. But we are not under it. We do not relate to God through the law. We relate to God through Christ. And we want to respond by faith to the wisdom of His law. We relate to God through Christ Jesus, who is a Savior, a Redeemer, a mediator of a new covenant. What else are they missing? Well, they're missing that Jesus has the authority to take this law and drive it even further and to expound it and apply it in ways that maybe they didn't know or appreciate. Jesus, even looking at, the, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount and these six units that are right here in chapter 5, you're going to see the personal pronoun, I, 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 I. You've heard it said, referring to the law and the prophets, and Jesus says, but I. That takes, that takes authority to teach in such a way that he would take it up five, six different times he says that. What else are they missing? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, many of those people would have gotten married right around the age or before 20. Okay? So that's why the, what's being addressed here is primarily adultery. But Jesus, if he had used it today, would have you know, obviously applied it to uh, fornication and other sexual sins. But in our cultural context, well, going back to them, they're not missing... Uh, they're missing out on not only that they're to keep clean and pure in this area on the surface, to check the boxes, to keep up the optics, and to externally conform to these norms that they didn't have as much of a problem with in those days. But in our day, we obviously do. We're kicking and screaming and raging against it. But what they missed was that it was a matter, going back to just like anger and a murder, that this is about lust and 
adultery in our hearts. These are matters of the hearts. Uh, I heard a, a Christian man speak of how one summer he was with some friends at a, a, a bachelor's weekend right before the wedding, and they were, uh, they were out that summer afternoon, and some beautiful girls, young, young ladies, walked by <clears throat> all together, and all the guys in the car just start, you know, getting rowdy and making comments that, uh, you know, we're, we're objectifying women, how else to say it. And this young Christian man said, it deeply disturbed me uh, when I heard them say to the groom, the groom, they said to him, well, you're, not, you're, you're about to be taken, so you can't do this anymore. He says, oh, oh, contraire. He says, yeah, some things will change, but I can do a little bit of window shopping just as long as I leave the credit card at home. Now, I'm sure you've heard something akin to that. Jesus doesn't agree with window shopping. You are, Jesus says, you are committing that sin in your heart, just like anger in its embryonic form is murderous. So lust is infidelity and sexual immorality. Exodus 20, the giving of God's law. What does the law of God say at the close? That you should not covet. And that's what lust is, because you are not desiring the wrong thing. You're desiring a thing that is not yours to possess. Something that doesn't belong in us. Discontent stirs inside of us, and then we begin moving the coals, as it were, the embers outside of the fire, outside of the fireplace, and then we just move it over here, and that creates great problems. Where, where is this going? Well, you know, if you follow the logic of what Jesus is saying, I mean, it, it's pretty clear. It begins with lust. Uh, it begins not with looking at something. It begins with uh, coveting something and looking at it multiple times in such a way that you have lustful intent, he says here. And then it travels, you know, from our heart and then it takes its place into actions like adultery and other sexual morality, which then leads to divorce and brokenness and separation. And then ultimately it leads to to damnation and destruction. Verse 30, he's not joking when he says he's warning about, against judgment if you don't repent and seek forgiveness. Why is that so hard? But in that culture, some of them were actually saying, well, let's make it easier. Let's just twist this a little bit. Their legal views on marriage in verse 31, they would say, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you get married... And then uh, somewhere, you know, along the lines, there's, there's some distance, there's some discontent, there's a, dis, you know, a distracted look over here or fantasy over there or, you know, a, a, a relationship with the opposite sex over here. Just some window shopping, just window shopping. That grows into lust and fantasy becomes a reality. And so they say, well, that's not okay, so I will just grant a certificate of divorce, and then I can go and pursue freely and, you know, above board what I want. I'll skip the adultery part. I'll make it legal. I'll, I'll, I'll do it right, and I'll go marry that woman that I'm coveting. Jesus is saying, you don't skip the adultery thing at all. Uh, that's been brewing in your mind and heart long before that, plus your views are lacking. You twisted it. Deuteronomy 24 is what he's alluding to. During the time of Moses, uh, it was granted 
uh, that a man could grant a certificate if he finds his wife indecent to him. Then you can release her. And that began a practice that they would actually add on to and become even more ridiculous and say, well, if I don't like the way that she cooks, then I can release her and grant her a certificate of divorce. Just to be clear, there's nowhere in the Old Testament that explicitly approves of divorce. And the best way to handle difficult passages of Scripture, and I would think you would agree this is one of them, is to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So, uh, while your finger's in Matthew 5, if you wouldn't mind turning over to Matthew 19. Because the Pharisees, uh, they want to trip him up on this one. And so they go to him, Matthew 19, verse Chapter 19, verse 3. And it says, Pharisees came to him, Jesus, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he, that is Jesus, answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, well, then why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But, okay, then he contrasts this by taking it back to the garden, to the creation and the purpose from the get-go, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus is saying the certificate thing that Moses said was a sad concession because of your sinfulness, rebellion, hardness of heart. And then he takes him back to the garden to where Adam was, was without companionship. And then he charges them, you know, he, he creates them as one flesh, tells them to be fruitful and multiply and to enjoy sex and marriage. What's in view here is what God joins. Did you hear Jesus there saying that? Going back to Genesis, what God joins, man, humanity should not be separating because they're, they're fitted together. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, not any other uh, I can't even, you know, I can't even piece it together. It's so obvious. A man and a woman biologically coming together is what Jesus says is a marriage and a lifelong covenant commitment. That should not be separated. Matthew, excuse me, Malachi, Matthew is saying this. Malachi reminds us in chapter 2 that the Lord God hates divorce. They're missing it. Uh, many people were married, but missing the purity and the purpose that's in view. I, it's, probably, it's probably wise to mention right now, for those of you who have some, some noise or who are trying to piece together the ethics of this, because it's probably touched every single one of your families, but what about other forms of, of grounds or, or, or means of divorce? Obviously, he's saying here infidelity uh, and sexual immorality could open that possibility, not necessity, but a possibility that there would be grounds for divorce. I think it's worth mentioning that in addition to that, the Apostle Paul, you can read it for yourself if you go to 1 Corinthians 7, 
uh, verse 15 says that a person is not bound to a marriage where there is desertion or abandonment. And we would include in that forms of desertion like abuse. Okay? So uh, we're, we're not saying that that should continue and that's okay. It's not. If lust is wrong, then where is this leading? What is the trajectory that Jesus is saying? It's heading towards sorrow and betrayal and hurt and pain and divorce and, yes, even spiritual death. So what is the solution? Well, just start cutting off uh, parts of your body. Right? Just do that. Just uh, that. There have been people who have done this. Uh, even even back in the earliest days of the uh, of the church, uh, but there's never been in in, in the history of Christendom uh, communities and traditions that felt like Jesus was commending to us amputation and mutilation physically of bodies. We we don't believe that. Uh, we don't. You would have a, you would have an advantage if you were uh, lame in this regard, and it's not the case. We know that it's not the eye or the hand that causes us to sin. Or any other human body part, it's the heart, the fountain of the seat of our being and the fountain of this sin and corruption that comes about. So obviously this sounds like an exaggeration that Jesus is saying, and yes, it is. And, and even more so, you should be thinking, we should be thinking, well, then what's the principle here? It's, if, if it's not mutilation, what's the principle? And I think it's very clear that Jesus wants us to understand the urgency and the weightiness, the gravity of how we should deal with this sin and other sins. We don't just dance around it and flirt and play and and entertain and continue and converse and build relationships and bridges and avenues. No, no, we sever, we cut off that which would tempt us. That means ending Sometimes relationships, not going places, reorienting our habits, our priorities, because we want to please God. We want to go back to the gift giver and say, what was this all about? Why was this here? How can I honor and enjoy the gift in the way and fashion that the gift giver gave it to us and to me. Because I think we need to be refreshed here. I think it's not just that, that we need to cut off some things and to make some hard decisions in relationship to choices. We need to revive and refresh and renew our hearts under the banner of God's love. I want to honor God in these areas because God loves me. And God's love is so much different. It is, it is not sentimental. It is not, it is not romance. God's love is sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that puts Jesus at this point on a trajectory towards dying for us. God loves us, those of us who are followers of Christ, in Jesus. And even as odd as it may sound to our ears right now, Jesus loves us like a husband feels Affection towards his new bride with a jealous love. E- even in our rebellious state as, as, as sinners, he loves 
us. And if you have any doubt about that, then go read the book of Hosea. It's an Old Testament prophet. It's a book that's not just an angry indictment against the spiritual infidelity of God's people and how much God hates sexual immorality and adulterous ways. It's actually a book that's also commending to us an invitation towards restoration and relationship with the living God who is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And yes, God, with all of His holy anger, is opposed to our sin and our unfaithfulness. And yes, He will punish it. But He is also willing to forgive and to cleanse us from all of it, to restore us fully, because He can cover His sins with His blood, with His sacrifice. We've sang it already twice. Jesus paid, paid for our sins, satisfies the the jealous love of God. One author and counsel that I, I enjoy regularly reading is Ed Welsh. Dr. Welsh says this, if someone is jealous for you, it can be, we're talking about love here, if someone is jealous for you, it can be intoxicating. God is jealous for his people. And behind all good jealousy is the cross. Because the cross of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, we're not consumed by the anger of God, but we are forgiven for our spiritual adultery and compelled by a jealous love that he has brought us, has bought us at a great price and transformed us. This love has opened our eyes to spiritual realities, including our own new identity. It has shown us that the true humanness is not found in giving ourselves over to our desires, but in giving ourselves over to our God and active participation in His kingdom. And I think that is so important because that's the backdrop. The gospel, important backdrop, God is not trying to control us or oppress us or restrain joy and freedom. He's giving boundaries and wisdom because he loves us and is inviting us to trust him and his plan. Because we're loved by God the Father with a jealous love, adopted into his family, Jesus is saying to you and me, we should be other. We should be countercultural. We should be different. We should be different in how we speak, how we talk and joke and prioritize and think and click and st- and scroll and relate to sex and marriage. Again, he set up a law, boundaries, lamp, light, path for our good and for his glory. So how are we responding? In the Wall Street Journal uh, a few years back, a sociologist, Professor Dr. Mark Uh, Regnerus wrote an article entitled Cheap Sex and the Decline of Marriage. Cheap Sex and the Decline of Marriage. Long quote, I've probably used this before. Men are less inclined to pursue the commitments and costs associated with monogamous marriage because women are giving out sex without expectations like commitment and some of the financial risks are lower. The birth control pill is not the only sexual technology that has altered expectations. 
online porn has made sexual experience more widely and easily available to others, to say nothing of hookup apps and culture. Staggering percentages of men and women are regularly viewing pornography. And this is what he, he concludes with. It turns out that in a world in which it is possible to satisfy your sexual desire much more immediately, also carries with it a number of unhappy and unintended consequences. Thank you. Uh, that's some general wisdom. It's an honest reflection on the the sociological and the emotional aspects of what people are trying to do. It's not making them happy. But it shows up in a society where women are objectified, marriages and families are destroyed through adultery and divorce, children and women are abused, and unborn children are murdered. They're not only physical but also spiritual costs as well. They're they're heavy. They're they're grave. It It is dark. God is not indifferent. God is good. God is gracious. God is love. And He is jealous in His anger. For we have lacked as a people commitment to Him and His wisdom. Why? Back to our fire analogy, okay? God gave us the gift of sexual intimacy in marriage. It's like a beautiful instrument like fire. He gave us the right place to enjoy it, in a home and in a fireplace. And for some reason, we have a tendency to take that and move it outside. And and, 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 and it, it destroys. It does harm. The anger of a jealous holy God says this, we, 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 we play with sparks and fuel in ways that we should not. And he invites us to come back because of, because of the cost. And by the way, God's anger and his punishment of this, we can either pay for our sins or Christ can pay for our sins. So I'm inviting you to take refuge in Christ even amidst all of the the failures and struggles that you may have had and still do. Application. Uh, Three groupings here. Last week, I sent you home with the assignment to repent, remember, rejoice, and repeat. And you have to do it in, in at least the first and the last in order. This week, I want to speak to application in three different groupings. The first is, for those of you who are near the fire. Uh, you're deeply aware of the temptations, either because you are unmarried or maybe because you are married and because of the distance in your relationship to your creator, there's also now distance in the relationship with your spouse. Be careful what you consume, how you compare your life. Pray. Pray and ask God, ask others to pray with you. Seek renewal in your relationship with God. Make choices to prepare yourself spiritually for marriage, living for God and not for yourself. And when Satan says, oh, but you must obey those desires and impulses and cravings, no big deal. You remind Satan 
that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's for you who are near the fire. There's another group of people that I would say are those of you who are in the fire. Your conscience is bothered. It's the, it's the red flashing light on your dash. And it does indicate something's wrong. Turn around, go the other way. Or maybe your conscience is just cold and indifferent right now. And you've been entertaining the lust of the flesh. An intimacy with someone else that is not your spouse or false intimacy through fantasies and pornography. Stop. Seek help. Seek others. Take steps, even if they're ever so small, to get help and accountability. Bring it to light. Don't let it grow in the darkness. James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you, that you may be healed. First John says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us. I'm telling you, there are many avenues. You, you are not without hope. You are not without resources. I would love to help you. Or some other trusted Christian friend. Third group, and that's all of us. Those who are near the fire, those of you who might be in the fire. And then I would say for everyone here, regardless of where you are in relationship to that fire, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality in our thinking, in our feeling, in our doing, in our talking. And he then gives us a reason in that same passage of 1 Corinthians 6, not only to flee sexual immorality, but he says why. Because it says there, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. How did he buy us? Purchase Jesus, the bridegroom, Christ's bride, the church. How did he buy us? Through the cross. Why did he purchase us at the cross? Because we're his. And I'm so glad that personally God loves and God forgives murderers and adulterers and liars. God's in the, bis in the business of restoring and healing our sin, the brokenness of our lives. If we're faithful in hiding ourselves in Christ, would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge again that you are other, holy, 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 and we bless your name. We want our lives, our bodies, and our soul, our, our, the heart of our being, our relationships to be conformed more to the glorious image of Jesus. We, we know there's hope. You told us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that there was blessing and, and, and peace and wholeness for people who are broken in spirit. We confess our poverty. We confess our neediness, our sin. We, we, you told us, blessed are those who mourn. And God, we mourn. We grieve how we have ignored your wisdom and broken your law and not loved people made in your image. God, I pray for people right now who lack hope, who need to take big steps, even small steps of repentance. Refresh us. Give us renewal. Give us 
humility, give us boldness. And I pray where we see the ugliness of sin, I pray that we would be the heart and the mind. I pray we would be what you want us to be in this culture, salt and light, humble salt and light. Lord, you love us and you want to protect us. So forgive our foolishness and sin. We thought we knew better than you. Help marriages, Lord, that are struggling. Help people who long to be married. For all of us, Lord, would you grow in us and young people. All of us grow us in contentment. Help us as a congregation to be a people of grace and truth and honesty, accountability. Help young people who are struggling with all of the many, many temptations and pressures from their friends in our culture. Shower mercy, Lord, on those who've lost hope. Be with parents who, who need to speak about this with their children and their spouse. Lord, I pray for people who are, uh, are, are weighed down with a whole variety of things, with their job, with their health, with a diagnosis, for people who are away even this weekend trying to care for aging parents. There's people in our midst that are trying to care for parents that have Alzheimer's and deep struggles. Lord, encourage them, refresh them, strengthen them. Strengthen our dear sister Dottie today as she's recovering. Thank you for answered prayer surrounding her heart surgery and this new valve. Lord, please strengthen her. Grant her your angels and healing touch. Lord, when we think about battles and struggles inwardly, outwardly, in our country, in the division, in the world, Lord, we pray for that peace that comes through the Prince of Peace when he returns and makes all things right and all things new. We pray right now in his name and as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven,